is up, everyone? It is Jesse HS, and this is the Sight and Sound Podcast presented by Heart Guide Media. And today, I have a little follow-up uh, that's kind of tacking on to my first interview with a member of this band. And uh, if you know me, you know my love for 18 Visions. Uh, and today we have the singer, vocalist, songwriter, James Hart, as a guest today, also expert in Halo. James, what is that, man? Uh, not much, man. What's going on? Uh, another day, but the, today is a, a cool day um, to have you on and have Keith on. It's been it's it's very awesome, and I'm pumped to have a chat with you. Obviously, chatted with Keith, and uh, yeah, man, it's uh, the 18V saga. I didn't think you know for uh, at this point almost five years ago was going to continue, um, and I had told Keith. Uh, I was because I'm such a supporter of 18V for years and years when you guys broke up every time there would be like a rumbling like you would post like a VOD video on social media or something just talking about like how heavy this is I'd get a text from like a buddy and being like do you think they're ever coming back do you think they'll ever do something again and I, I didn't know if you guys would so when you guys made your return almost five years ago it was I, I noticed a lot more people bought back into the 18v train i think i know you got you guys talked about it a million times every time you guys made a record you would lose like a certain amount of fans and gain a whole bunch of different fans and the the train just kept rolling on until it stopped but when you guys came back it seemed like it, i love that you guys did a full album i said this to to keith as well i love that you guys did a full album because it wasn't like you guys were trying to cash in on a st- nostalgia thing. You guys were back. You were doing it for the love of it. And we got a full record out of it, which in my eyes, I think that's a signature record for 18 visions because it incorporates everything. And what was it like uh, for you to come back, dive into those songs that you guys hadn't played on the last couple album cycles too, before you guys broke up to dive back into those songs that were now at that point, 17, 18, years old old yeah crazy man um because we like writing writing that record uh we actually didn't play through any of it live it was all just like written in the studio uh you know keith wrote it at home he would send me his stuff and then i would write it i would you know i'd write my stuff at home and demo it out in my house and then we'd go into the studio and we'd out and then um you know we would kind of go through like our own little like production things while we were while we were there like you know editing stuff and maybe changing or tweaking some ideas and then it wasn't until like you know we're gonna start playing these shows that we're like okay well we need to practice and we need to play we hadn't played live together in i I guess since our our last show would have been 2007 right and just playing together alone was just like how's this going to go? Like, what's the vibe going to be? Like, do we have our shit together? Um, and then, you know, the newer songs were on that record more straightforward in the way that they were written. Um, they weren't as like complex. There wasn't so many parts, you know, when we were writing, um, until the ink runs out and like vanity, that stuff was written in the rehearsal space. So, you know, you're, you're walking into the rehearsal space and you're paying for three or four hours and you're just trying to, 
you know, get as much out as possible. So we were talking about this um, the other day, we were in a rehearsal space together and we were talking about like some of the old songs and, you know, how they were written. And it was like, you know, dudes would come with like guitar parts or half a song and it would be like, let's throw this part on and that part on and that part on. And you're just Frankensteining things together. Um, so you've got like these songs that are five minutes long, right? Plus. Oh, for sure. And it's just, it's just crazy. And then, you know, vocally trying to write all that stuff um, on the spot. You know, I didn't have music to take home with me. You know, I was just writing it on the spot and just trying to like ingrain stuff in my brain. Um, so, you know, going back and playing these songs live, we're trying to pick, you know, which songs do people connect with, which songs are going to be the most fun to play, uh, what's going to fit into like a set back then in 2000 or 2017, I think it was, mm -hmm. um, and like stuff that we can kind of continue to play. Uh, and it was just like, uh, it was, I, I think it was a little rough at first, you know, especially with the until the ink stuff, stuff that's a little bit more complex with the changes and trying to like map out the tempos because everything was all over the place. We weren't recording to a click back then. And yeah, it was, it was a little difficult, I'd say. That's uh that's interesting to hear. And, and you're so right when you, when you say uh, about the Frankensteining of, of songs, because I remember when, when vanity had like was in the, we were in the, like the midst of the vanity era, I had just started getting into like the, I was like a punk kid, like into like old school punk and stuff like that. And then slowly like found poison the well found you guys like started getting trust kill samplers, um, brothers keeper and shit like that. And then when I found you guys, that's when like my love for like Metallica and stuff like that, I was just like, Oh, this kind of like fits in that vein. It's heavier. And yeah. it's super complex. And that's what like some of my first bands, like my guitarist at the time when we were in, when I was in high school, you know, 14, 15 years old, they were trying to like, they're like blown away by the, like the time signatures on vanity, like a five minute song that has like so many parts, but for some reason with, with vanity, cause you guys uh, re-recorded vanity until the ink runs out for a vanity repress. Um, what was it like going back and kind of digging into the vanity? Did you, did you, when you guys recorded those two, did you guys kind of look back on the vanity songs and like kind of think back to like that era and those songs and, and have any thoughts on like how those songs are now? Because vanity to me kind of is one of those records that I feel like what I had just like, really, that was what, like when I was full blown into you guys, like that's when I was like, yeah, like this is the fucking band. And so many people at that time that I was hanging with or that was showing me new music were a little older than me. And were just like, nah, no, dude, it's not as heavy as until the ink runs out. But me and my friends who were a few years younger were all in on the vanity shit and then stayed out or like even more all in with the obsession shit. Cause we we're like rock kids. Like we love the rock riffs, but also like super heavy, brutal shit too. So it was catering to us at the time. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Keith just kind of had the idea, like, let's, you know, we got the rights back to like all of the old trust kill stuff. Right. So we own the rights to all that stuff now. So we're like, well, we did the until the ink repress. Let's do the van. Like, let's let's give vanity like a proper pressing. It came out like on picture disc um, was the only pressing. And that was like 
through some European distribution label that Trustkill had a partnership with, and there wasn't like a ton of circulation on it, I think. Um, so we're like, let's, you know, let's, uh, let's repress our own thing and, you know, put it out ourselves. And uh, Keith wanted to record a couple of songs um, just to kind of throw it out there with it. Like, you know, we were playing Vanity and You Broke Like Glass were like the two songs off that record that we had been playing. So let's kind of like reimagine these songs and, you know, just kind of throw them out there and, you know, something for people to have a, you know, a modern re-recording of, you know, a, a couple of like, I guess our old classics and thought it was a cool idea. Yeah, those those translated so well in re-record. Those uh, because I had seen you guys a couple times after you guys reunited, caught you down in Baltimore, caught you at the Every Time I Die Christmas show, and um, at This Is Hardcore 2018. And I had a buddy with me that had not seen you guys since maybe 2003, 2002. And he was like, it was like, holy shit, like these guys are like, he couldn't believe like when he when I told him I was just like dude they're covering every era and when he saw you guys he was like blown away he was just like I never thought in 2018 I'd be listening I'd be hearing them uh do like until the ink runs out songs and and he's just like and they sound literally better than they've ever sounded you guys do you think you with reimagining the two vanity songs uh vanity and, and you broke like glass and hearing like a newer, like you said, reimagining on those, do you guys think you that the songs for like Until the Ink Runs Out or even Yesterday's Time Killed with uh, the Psychotic Thought, do you guys think that you tapped in and really honed in and made those songs sound better than they were when they were initially done? Because live they translated, I think, better than I had ever seen them. Yeah, you know, I think I think two factors like one, it's 20 years later and like we're all better musicians. Right. Because sure. we just had repetition and experience and we know what sounds good uh, for us. And like, you know, Keith really has his 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 sound dialed in. Um, we're just, you know, sharper, I think, now than we were 20 years ago. Right. Like and then two, playing to a click. 20 years later uh, with drums, just keeping everything like really tight and like locked in. Um, it just helps everything sound better and bigger and fuller. Um, you know, we weren't playing to a click back then. I don't think many bands were, I think it was just kind of go with the flow. And that was like, what was cool and like punk rock about it. But, you know, fast forward 20 years, we're going to play shows and put out music. We want it to be, the best it can possibly be. We don't want to give somebody a 2001 product in 2021. Do you know what I mean? No, for sure. And a lot of that stuff, a lot of the stuff you guys were doing back then kind of started coming up in newer bands. You started hearing like a lot of stuff. I think you guys did years ago. You started hearing more of it. And even Dan's bands that uh, predated you guys, you listen to knock loose, like me personally, like, I hear disembodied riffs like all day and I'm sure they would say the same, you know? Yeah, totally. Which is cool. I think it's great, man. Oh. I, I think it's awesome that you can, you know, tap into like the hardcore world from 10, 15, 20 plus years ago and, you know, modernize it today or, or, or take elements of it. You know, it's just like, you know, a rock band pulling from like the nineties and, 
you know, some of like the great like grunge bands that were that were out and, you know, implementing that in their music today. Um, you know, everybody's trying to like, I think, uh, really tap into, you know, what they love musically, um, what their background is. So I think if you're growing up now and, and you're able to find disembodied or, you know, uh, earth crisis, like early earth crisis and stuff like that, and really kind of make that a part of what you're doing. I think that's awesome. Yeah. It's that that's like been fun for me as someone that's in the, my mid thirties is seeing over the past five to six years, seeing more kids get into that style. Whereas I felt like towards like, I don't know, the later part of the two thousands, people were kind of, especially in the hardcore scene, they were kind of distancing themselves from the metallic stuff, the metallic hardcore and stuff. So when people started getting more on the train for the metallic hardcore stuff, you started seeing like all those influences, kids finding these bands, integrity, earth crisis and incorporating that stuff in. And I think it's just, it's cyclical, you know, dude, it just, all that stuff makes its way around because it's a lot of those bands and a lot of those records are too good not to resurface and, and influence an, a new generation. Right. Exactly. Now with um, Inferno, you guys, I think are probably the darkest you've been since the early days. And I just, I love when you guys drop that, I was like, I don't know. I, I guess I, I was interested to see what you guys would do next as far as new, like fresh material. Cause obviously we had just gotten the, the vanity re-records. Um, and when Inferno dropped, I was like even more like blown away, like, because it was just super dark, even heavier. And you guys are like, you, it seems like, you guys are really enjoying being bringing it back DIY, doing your own vinyl, doing your own merch record Keith now at the producing helm and you guys kind of bringing it all in house. It seems like you guys are really in a spot that like was meant to be for your return. Yeah, it's, it's awesome, man, to be honest with you, because when we came back, we, we, we said we weren't going to like tour. We're not, we can't, where we're at in our lives, me and Keith, especially like we can't like leave home for long stretches at a time. Right. So, you know, when we did that one-off with rise, uh, we met with them and they were like, Oh, we can put you on this tour and that tour. And, you know, uh, their vision for us was different from what we had for ourselves. And, you know, we kind of tried to explain that to them, but I don't think that they really understood that we weren't really going to tour. We were going to do what we could, when we could, and and what made sense and, and just really like what we wanted to do, right? We weren't focused on like growing the band or the brand. Uh, we were focused on making music for ourselves and like kind of having fun with it. And, you know, we're in our late thirties when, when we kind of started back early forties now, and it's just, more fun than it's ever been and it's because we're doing it ourselves we don't have these expectations from a label telling us you know what they want or why aren't you guys touring uh we need you to tour more we need to sell more records like we don't care you know we put it up and we put it up to stream and we press a limited amount of vinyl that we think that we're going to sell through comfortably and make it this kind of like really cool collector's item for our fans and not like oversaturate it. And it's made it really, really fun for us. Um, and like with the Inferno thing, we can kind of musically, we just wanted to create this whole conceptual vibe 
right? And Keith was churning out music that was heavier and faster and darker than anything we'd ever done before. So, you know, we wanted to kind of create this whole aesthetic of like, you know, giving it like its own like little branding, right? And so that's why it kind of got pushed more in that direction, I'd say. Yeah, it was um, <clears throat> to to hear it and to hear how dark it went. I gotta I gotta mention thirty one because thirty one has such a fucking killer like vocal hook, and that song I literally like as soon as I would listen to the full Inferno when it dropped because and and we're gonna dive into the vinyl because you and I are gonna vinyl nerd out, dude. Because uh, Keith told me that you're the you're, you're a lot of the brains behind a lot of the vinyl ideas. So we're, we're going to get to that in a second. And I'm super amped on that, but the, I listened to the full thing and uh, I was awaiting, I, I was still awaiting my, vi- my vinyl. It was in transit. And I heard, once I heard 31, I list, finished listening to the rest of the record blown away, went back to 31 and listened to it probably six or seven more times just on repeat because that song is so fucking I can't wait to hear that song live at, at some point. I cannot wait to hear that song live. Sick. Yeah. Um, that song uh, was cool. Like when I first heard it, that opening guitar hook, um, I just got taken back to like the mid late nineties uh, for me immediately it took me back to like this band unbroken from San Diego. Oh. Like it just had like such that like vibe to it. Um yeah, I love everything Keith is is doing. It's you know it's great. Yeah, it, like I said, it just feels like it's it's went to a place where I think it should be. Like eighteen V being DIY, Keith now producing, you guys doing it on your own terms. You can the fun is like coming through, and to oh. see it to see like especially like it. This is hardcore back in twenty eighteen. To see how many people I literally, dude, I saw kids that I saw going to shows in Syracuse that I didn't know their names and I had not seen them in probably 15 years, 10, 15 years at that show. And I just knew their faces and it literally brought me back to like being a 16 year old, 15, 16 year old kid. And, but at the same time, like everyone's losing their shit to oath too. And I was just like, this is exactly where, I I mean, to, as a, like a selfish, you know, supporter and fan, like, this is exactly where I wanted 18B to be after the return, after the new record comes out. And you guys, it seems like every year, if you're not do your, you know, the Vanity Repress and EP, now a covers record, you guys are staying like uh, on the radar. And I think it's really special for the, the fans that have been there. Like you said, doing the limited vinyl is so awesome to do it on that lower scale too, where it's not like, okay, there's 5,000 on on black 2000 on red and you guys the love is there for the vinyl like the vinyl all the vinyl variants have been sick all the vanity uh reissues all those variants were amazing and i did like i got to talk about the inscription the del taco uh, oh yeah because uh, i always look for them even most records i buy from any band most of them don't utilize that little inscription ar- around the 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 cut and to, to read it and know you guys are all, you know, especially you, a big Del Taco fan and seeing the Del Taco uh, uh, orders killed me. Uh, that was uh, that was fun to see. I don't know whose side has like or I don't know which side has 
one side is key sorter and then <laughs> so oh it's so good and uh it was now as far as colors you guys met obviously with the vanity stuff what was the idea to bring in the blue on the vanity um on the vanity obviously the pink because the cover's pink um but with the blue is it for the blue fibonacci spiral thing that's on the record to just incorporate like a blue into the vinyl yeah even though like the like the the like the the reissue with the cover so trevor drew uh and painted that cover art Mm -hmm. Um, even though there was no like blue in it i've always just kind of like like vanity to me has always been like pink and blue, like with like just a, like a splash of blue. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then to me, like when I'm visualizing like color combinations, what goes, what, like, what looks good together, pink and blue look really, really good together. Um, so that was an idea for that. And that was like early on, that was like before, you know, we, had just started like i mean early on is like what like a year ago i guess now but like we had just kind of started um experimenting with you know you know vinyl and like what was possible right what what would look good and and what kind of um what kind of options there were right and so with that um you know looking back i, I feel like we could have made it even even better than it was, which, you know, we're really happy with how it came out at the time, but knowing what the possibilities are now and seeing some of the things that we've done and seeing what's out there, I think we could get a little bit more creative. Even. Well, I can tell you right now, as I have, uh, four, as I have four orders for the, um, for 1996 and those might be some of the best variants I've seen of any vinyl because you, th- those are legit, like, that's Pokemon shit. That's got to get them all like all the way. Yeah. Those were, those were fun. Those were cool. We weren't sure how the, how those were going to turn out. Um, and then I think when it comes to vinyl, I think color scheme is important, right? So what's, what's the cover of the record look like, you know, if it's just like, if you're just doing like the black album, right? Metallica black album, then the possibilities are kind of endless. You can kind of go with whatever you want, but when there's like there's splashes of color here and there, or it's got like some sort of like vibe to it, then you kind of want to go with, with that and see where you can take things. Right. So with 1996, the color schemes for each, I wanted to take bits and pieces of the colors on the cover from the cover photo. And then I kind of wanted to do things that I kind of had like a nineties feel to it. Right. So, um, you know, one of the variants was like, um, it was like a blue and like magenta and green, like merge. And it came out and it reminded me of like when, um, like tropical Skittles came out. Right. <laughs> yeah, totally. And- my favorite one is like the highlighter yellow with like the neon green, like blob and splatter. And that just, that to me is like nineties. It reminds me of like, kind of like Nickelodeon Dude, and totally. um, like just the bright, like neon colors that were kind of like early nineties stuff, like people wearing stuff on their nose at the beach. <laughs> and uh, th- That's like what I remember in like the early nineties and like, 
just kind of wanted to kind of have that whole vibe to it with like the neon colors and everything, keeping everything like really, really bright, but also using the colors from the cover photo as like the foundation for everything. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I can't understate it cause I appreciate vinyl so much. And as a collector of everything, 18 V vinyl, like I was super pumped on like, and like you said, like, and then my, the gears in my head start turning as I know it's, 2022 marks the 18th anniversary of, of obsession and i know the 18th anniversary of vanity and until the ink runs out we got vinyl reissues so my hopes for a, a, an obsession vinyl and i know i look i'll see it every time you guys post vinyl uh like for for whatever inferno or or now 1996 i'll see those comments where they say when's the obsession vinyl coming and so like i'm like our my my head's already turning about like what colors were we could possibly get when that comes out well for obsession that's actually 2004 so 2024 will be 20 years vanity is actually 20 years this year no no yeah but keith said that vanity came out on the 18th anniversary and until the ink runs out so will obsession will obsession make the 18th anniversary mark is what i'm saying oh no oh gotcha no i don't i don't think it will i don't think it will well, I know that the vinyl market's just jammed in the ass right now because of it cold. really is, which is, you know, why. So with 1996, we actually had all the music for that done. God, man, by like. It had to have been May, I think. Oh, shit. Or April of last year. And we actually approved the test presses. I want to say mid to late June, the tests were approved Damn. and we got the vinyl in like two weeks ago, maybe. Yeah. Right. And like, so with that, we're like, well, what do we do? You know, we were, you know, in the past, uh, everything was like really, really, really quick, like three months tops, right. Start to finish. Um, and we were just like, well, Hey, like, you know, when's this final coming? And I think I asked in October, in, in August, <laughs> Oh, your expected delivery is December. And we're like, well, fuck. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, what do we do? Like, we're not going to get the, we're not going to have like the physical product to sell until, you know, like mid December at best, you know, if not longer we've got this record done. What do we do with the streaming? And so this was kind of like a big test for us with like how the, the physical product would actually sell, um, knowing that it wasn't going to coincide with when the streaming was available. So we obviously want to get the music out as, as quick as possible. You know, like we're not, we're not on a labels timetable, which is nice. We can kind of do things as we want. But with this big vinyl, like with everything getting backed up, it's kind of like stunting like our timeline for certain things we want to do. Right. And it's forcing us to kind of re readjust to like the actual vinyl timeline versus the timeline of how we would like to do things. Right. So it's a little bit tricky and frustrating there. I think at this point, um, we're always going to lean on the side of the music's done let's at least put out a song, two songs, you know, and then, you know, release whatever it is we're releasing in full. 
And if the vinyl's ready to sell when we're ready to, you know, launch the streaming, cool. If it's not, we'll just have to wait and hold off on it and just hope and know that people are going to want the physical product. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, as I said, this year being the 18th anniversary coming up in June of Obsession, something I uh, had to ask too was, and I know because it's, it's, I know the answer kind of, it's because CDs really don't sell, but is there any, is there any thought behind possibly doing some CD releases of any of this on a low, obviously on a much lower and limited scale? I don't think so. I like, I really don't know. I haven't even like looked into the, like the minimum order or what the cost is on that. Um, you know, people have asked, but it's not like an overwhelming, of like, yeah. on this. I think if anything, like, that that CD, the, the Obsession CD specifically, that, I would say that and the, until the ink runs out, both, like, had their own, like, first pressing, right? The Until the Ink came out on the cardboard digipack that, like, yep. folds out. And um, it had, like, I believe the the cd itself was was purple logo i think i think think if i remember correctly i think the jewel case was purple and i think that i think the digipack was the blue splatter i'd have to check in my collection um but one way or the other and then it went to a jewel case right and with obsession it came with like the die cut like heart cut out yeah and that was like only I, I don't know that was a limited amount as well and then it just went to like the basic cover right right um so like those have kind of had their like cool little um cd pressings i don't know that like i would i would do anything i think it's more like what are we into you know like what For sure what what gets us excited you know does does a cassette tape get us excited like maybe i don't you know i don't really i don't really know i haven't looked into that a whole lot either we haven't talked about it i know you know, me and Keith kind of collect vinyl a little bit. So that's like more exciting for us to do. For sure. Now that it's funny, as we were talking about the obsession CDs, it took me a while, but I ended up tracking down a, uh, a Japanese version of obsession, which has the B sides, which uh, I had, I had heard from the beginning of being an upset, getting obsession because I get the, got the DVD with, you know, recorded with mud rock and, um, and I heard those songs on the making and they weren't on the record. And in 2004, there was obviously limited searches you could do on the internet. And obviously a couple of years go by and I find that there are B sides. I, I think at the time at some download site, I found them, but I ended up tracking down a, a Japanese version of those uh, B side songs. Um, any, was it just, you were trying to cut obsession down to 11 songs and those, and you had to, you know, give whatever continent two bonus tracks for, for a release and, and why were, is there any, I guess this is the good question for me to ask is, was there any, do you have any regrets of making those two songs, the two songs that didn't make the album on the, you know, traditional U S release? Oh, no, not at all. I've never even thought about like, Oh, I wish this was on the, the, the normal release, you know, like, uh yeah i think it was a i think it was a matter of like our producer and our manager saying like hey like that's kind of a lot of songs on a record like you don't need 
that many songs on the full length. Uh, and then also the record label saying, Hey, like Japan wants like two exclusive songs for the release. Uh, the UK wants a B side for the single, uh, stuff like that. You know, I think right. that that's the kind of how that thing works out. Um, yeah, I mean, I would love to have those available someday, you know, uh, sure. probably like on a physical, on a physical release over here or, you know, available for streaming. So, I mean, are they, I don't know, are they on Spotify or anything? I've never even checked. It might be in like, on like the, I guess the, whatever the Asian spot, like Asia Spotify, because I know different continents have like different iTunes and different uh, Spotify. So they may be, but they're not on the U S and like I said, I, I wouldn't have access to them other than like a burn CD that I had when I found them other than the Jap finding the Japanese version on like eBay and getting a, the one that has them as the bonus tracks. Sure. Yeah. I, I have no idea. Uh, so as I talked with uh, Keith, this is like a horror movie genre film podcast. We do cover a lot of action films too, a lot of eighties and nineties stuff. Um, but something I, I talked with him about and I, I did 100% needed your take on it was all the movie quotes that made their way onto 18 vision albums. And, and it's, it's interesting as I, I spoke with him about how I, there was obviously bands that did it before you guys, but I feel sure. like you guys kind of brought it to the forefront. You guys made it like uh, fashionable or, or at least like cool because like you're a super brutal band, you're listening to vanity and you're getting a fast times, quote you're getting and I, as i told keith like i literally like found river's edge from the quote that's in one hell of a prize fighter and found it and fell in love with that movie so there's the definitely intertwining of film and music especially with you guys because you guys always went that route of you know it, having the tvs on on stage and like playing the movie quotes live too where has like where have movies and not even so much just the quotes that you guys have in your songs um but were movies like influenced like 18 visions along the entire saga of 18 visions? Yeah, I think, you know, you just get a vibe from a movie, right? Um, like you get a feeling, it's just got like this really, really cool feel to it. And it's something different, uh, something that's out there or like, it just like touches you or connects with you in a certain way. Um, and then, you know, you want to kind of, for us, I think we wanted to like, well, we heard bands doing like movie quotes, right? And so we're like, oh, well, well what could we do, right? I think, uh, I want to say the first one we ever did maybe was on. <sighs> was it Dracula? It Was it Dracula on, on yesterday? Uh, yeah, it might've been actually, we might've had, had, had that one going on the Lifeless EP. We might have done it from the very beginning, but yeah, it was Bram Stoker's Dracula. And then there was also another one on yesterday from, um, oh, what is that movie? The Devil's Advocate. Yeah, yeah, yep, of course. Yeah. And so just kind of like, okay, well, what movie quotes do we want to use to segue songs? I think we were trying to segue songs, just kind of lead in. And, you know, the Fast Times one, he's talking about Mick Jagger, but like, yeah. you know, we had band and we thought it was cool and we all you know we all loved the, you know these movies and like you know the back to the future quote 
um, you know, fit because of like, you know, the dialogue. Right. Right. And then, you know, fast forward to now and we're using, you know, uh, they live as like a focal point for a music video. Yeah. Right. Which, which like, obviously maybe one of the best music videos you guys have done, obviously the almighty Andy Williams playing the yeah. rowdy, rowdy, rowdy Piper role. Yeah. Just because it's, you know, like they speak to us and like, you know, kind of want to share, I guess it's more about like sharing inspiration from us, right? Like sharing things we love uh, with, you know, people that are going to listen to our music. And to be honest with you, it's, it's what you said, like a lot of people have come up to me. I never knew what River's Edge was until I heard, you know, One Hell Prize Fighter and people have brought me like the VHS or the to like sign on tour before that's areas yeah for for Um, me like that like that is like what it's kind of like all about because my whole like my whole like life kind of revolves around movies and music and and you know records and and so that like you said that like the sharing of influences myself i can vouch for myself and the friends that i hung out with when we discovered vanity we literally hunted out found river's edge watched it and, and, but like I was saying to, to Keith as well, like, I can't listen, I can't watch that movie now without hearing that quote from Daniel Roebuck and then literally thinking of the intro to one hell of a prize fighter. Yeah. Super cool, man. It's, yeah. it's, you know, do, do you think like, and I guess part of me is being a horror fan too. I guess I'm not like, I, I'm kind of shocked that 18 V didn't get like, I guess like for lack of a better term, like kind of pigeonholed to like a horror type band too, because you guys had such dark elements, especially on those early releases Uh, and having Bram Stoker's Dracula quotes and, and, you know, devil's advocate and just having like super in the shot, obviously the, the shining uh, shit in um, until the ink. Uh, Did you guys ever feel like you were like treading in a, in a way where you would be considered like the, the heavy horror band at all no i've never even thought about it um yeah it's it's weird like i i like some horror films i'm not like it's not like my go-to um genre for films um you know because a lot of it is cheesy for me uh oh, well, the, a lot of it, uh, it's 90 percent of it's cheese some of the cheesy ones are the best ones of course right yeah it's just so bad that I just can't, you know, yeah. um, I think Mick was really like the horror guy in the band Mick. And then like, you know, when Trevor came on and I think for, for me, Ken and Keith, we just, we really just like loved good films and it didn't really matter where it came from. And I feel like we had like the three of us had like very, very similar tastes in a lot of things. Um, no surprise we were in a band together for so long. Right. Right. Of course. You know, I think it was just like, you know, I like, I think the first time I ever saw Bram Stoker's I was either in seventh or eighth grade. And like, I fell in love with the film. Right. Um, The shining with a, a classic film. Right. So it's like, it's stuff that like everybody's kind of on the same page with everybody loves it. Like it's kind of like undeniable stuff. I feel like Mick brought the River's Edge one to the table, which was great. That's cool. Yeah. 
what's it been like, I guess, now that you guys are like back in like the swing of things and like the 18V name is like alive and well, you know, looking back on your catalog, is there like a, is there a record that kind of, that you favor more than any, cause me personally, like I can't, it's hard for me to favor an 18V record uh, because I like, I've liked everything you guys have done and I've kind of been on board when, you know, I was one of the, the ones that stayed with the jumps because I was just dug what you guys were doing. Like I'm a rock fan too. So when self-titled came out, like I was like jazz that I was getting like these huge rock songs, but then that's what, like, I feel like some people missed, but it's definitely come around because I definitely saw kids that wouldn't be rocking to black and bruised back in 2006 when it came out. But when you guys played it, when I saw you down in Baltimore in 2017, it literally, I was watching people like, like vibing that you could tell wouldn't normally vibe with that because it wasn't like as heavy, but the riffs and the heaviness was always there. And it was just, and it, I mean, it speaks to uh, Tower of Snakes too. Tower of Snakes is your guys' firestorm. Ah, yeah, cool. Um, you know, going through the catalog, like I don't know. So I'm going to favor the newer stuff more as a listener because it's more listenable to me. Right. The recording quality just to start. Um, it's not as like sloppy. Uh, the guitar, t- like er- everything, the production overall value is just better. Um, I have an easier time, like listening to my vocals from, you know, 2004 on. Um, and like the newer the stuff gets, the easier it is for me as like a, a singer to go back and listen to, um, you know, I've been listening to a lot of, you know, I've been listening to the vanity record a lot lately. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's I, I, like, what was I doing? You know, not necessarily like as a singer, but more as a writer, like, holy shit, these songs are <laughs> for five minutes and i'm singing for five minutes straight i'm not giving myself very many breathers like i'm more like what was i doing there like like you know i'm like really like kind of killing myself like i don't have to write and sing over every single part but again i'll rewind to the beginning of our conversation and like writing these songs in a rehearsal space versus having them on my laptop with garage band and me being able to properly demo them out and saying this is too much or this is not enough or I can really sit down and like dissect the song vocally and like figure out what's going to work where, you know? Uh, I mean, I, I love all the parts that I was writing, but fuck me. Like I just didn't give myself a break. Um, it's just like layering and stacking part upon part upon part. And like, I think that that's like, my biggest issue with like everything pre obsession uh, is just like the, the amount of like vocals. So, like I hear a riff in until the ink or vanity. I'm like, man, that is a really, really cool riff. I wish I would have let that part just like breathe and chill out by itself. You know um, I think that's the biggest issue. And I think when we were going into obsession, Ken and Keith had started doing their own pre-production and sending me songs where I could start to write and like really kind of like hash it out at home 
and spend time with it versus having to like, all right, let's work on this song again this week. And like, let's hammer out this part and like beat it into my brain and we'll remember it when we go into the studio. So. No, I can definitely like understand that too, because there was, there's so much, it's like a, a buddy of mine said it once too. He's just like, vanity is like a beautiful circus. Uh, Cause it, it's so like all over the place, but it's still like it gelled and it, it gelled when it needed to gel. And that was always a record I've, I've always just been so fond of, but the um, you could see on the newer, like the newer record, the newer material, the newer uh, 18 record too. Uh, when you hear like spit and you hear fake leather jacket in those songs, you can exactly what you were saying. You can hear the riff breathe and like get fleshed out to the listener. So it's not like you're not just being hosed uh, with everything all at once too. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a, that's a big part of it, man. For me um, is knowing now I know when and where to, to, to put, to put things for myself. Um, you know, I, I didn't know what I was doing. What? 20 years ago, you right. know? I had like, I had no clue, man. I was just like trying to fucking rip it, you know? Uh, <laughs> and yeah, uh, I, I would say though, out of like the back catalog stuff, um, collectively, like, fuck, man, I, I love like Until the Ink. And maybe it's because we probably played the most songs off of that record. I think maybe three or four, four, I think we've played off that. And so, like, I've spent more time with it. And now I'm starting to spend a lot of time with Vanity and, like, really, really enjoying, like, listening back on, like, Prize Fighter and, like, Fashion Show and, uh, you know, The Critic and Sonic Death Monkey, which was, like, a later track that everyone, everyone I feel like loved, but we just never really played enough. Sure, man. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, because, I mean, that's the thing, too, was just trying to fit all the material in there. And when you guys had the newer set lists for the return, like, I got, I literally have one right across from me from the Baltimore show that literally, like, I was, like, elated to to see, like, that we got everything on there pretty much from, from self-titled all the way back to, like, yesterday. So I was, like, I, I've been so, like, uh, I guess satisfied with that you guys have been able to incorporate all your material in some way or another, obviously like uh, until the ink being such a, a fan favorite and literally like, you know, not to, not to wax your car too much, but like changed a lot of how people took on heavy music at the time. It literally like, that's like, you see these revolver lists, dude, like that record, it, like revolver and like all these magazines and they talk about these records that like kind of influence so much like that records up there, dude, everyone I know it's into the, like the, the era of heavy music in the early two thousands, like that record, especially it's just so like, I don't know, man, it just, it hit at the right time. And I got into you guys like right after that record came out, probably like a year or so is when I first started a like, year and a half after that record came out, I saw you guys and it was right before Vanity came out and then Vanity came out and I was all in. So I was like already in on Vanity and Vanity was like my favorite 18V record for so long. And then after, you know, sitting on it for a while and then Obsession comes out and I was pumped on Obsession. And then later going back and revisiting until the ink runs out more and more and more and more. It's really like it, it is like, a, you know, like the it's a seminal record, man, as far as like what people were doing at the time. I don't think anybody could really 
touch as far touch you guys as far as what you were doing there wasn't anything like it at the time there's similar similarities by the contemporaries man but it was in its own it was in its own ballpark uh we were just trying to hang with uh fucking cave-in and converge and box (laughs) i mean you talk about like some of the most seminal records of all time that that like the cave-in record uh, until your heart stops like that i mean blows me away still to this day all of them play that front to back a couple of weeks ago in oh, LA. Shit. Oh shit. Yeah. I didn't know that they even play, played like played a show recently. Yeah, it was awesome. They did. It was some like some beer festival. I think Converge. I didn't go to the Converge night. They did Jane Doe front to back and then um Cave and did Until Your Heart Stops front to back, which in my opinion is the greatest metalcore album ever written. And then uh, Dead Guy also played, which I was like a massive Dead Guy fan growing up. So I'd seen him a couple of times right before they broke up. Um, but yeah, man, that that uh, fixation full length was like everything, you know, dude, those it, it's so crazy looking back on and listening to those records when I do revisit some of those records. And it blows me away how it just feels like if the, if a band put out one of those records now. I feel like it would be so revered and kind of like how, like, you know, when like say a knocked loose puts out like a record and I think kids go ape shit for it. It reminds me of like when you guys or someone else put out a record like that and people, it was like the buzz and it, and you guys are an influencer of that, man. Like you definitely can see it in those bands. Even if, if say some of those bands didn't intend, like listen to 18 V they probably listened to a, a band that was inspired by 18 vision. So it's like, it's running down the bloodstream of heavy music today, man. Cool, man. Thanks. But uh, man, as we uh, as we start wrapping up, I really appreciate all the time, uh, and it's just been awesome to talk. I got to talk about Burn Halo because sure, I was a fan. Uh, you guys put out three records, um, and I and I talked with with Keith about how his the Never Enough record he and Trevor did kind of like followed the industrial feel that like the self titled had, and they kind of went down that road. Whereas with Burn Halo, with that record you put out, the first one, that kind of went down the more rock and dirtier and grittier rock feel that Self-Titled had. And I loved that record. Um, And I was really impressed when you did the follow-up too, Up From The Ashes. That record, I think, is the best Burn Halo record of the three. I love that second Burn Halo record. Is there like, and obviously when you did Wolves of War, that's when like, the hope started arising. I was just like, oh, James is doing some heavy ass shit. He's going to get the itch to do the 18B shit, man. Uh, but what's your thought thoughts on those three records looking back now that some time has passed? Yeah. So, you know, the, the first record, um, you know, I wrote that with like an, a songwriter uh, in Tulsa together. And, you know, I met some like really amazing people through him. Uh, my 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 bass player that played with me for on the first two records, uh, Aaron, and the guitar player that did like all of the demo work for us and actually recorded the guitars. Neil, uh, he plays or played uh, recently uh, up until like I guess a few months ago in Devil Driver, um, and like just kept in contact with them and made some like great friends, um, through that. Uh, you know, I really, I I loved making that record. Um, I was always just kind of unsure of what it was going to be. I wrote it like as a solo artist. Right. And like, 
was missing that band aesthetic, you know, where like for me, I could tell the songs were just like written and then like recorded, like kind of like the ATV stuff. Like, you know, we just write and record. Mm -hmm. Right. But like the difference is, is Keith is in the band and a true guitar player. Right. And has his own sound and his own tone and his own style of writing. Whereas the songwriter, he's got his own style and the way that he writes things. And I, my way that I write things, it's kind of like a mesh, but he's not like a real riff, a riff guy. He's not like writing right. like guitar. Like it's not like fully musically focused. It's more vocally and lyrically focused, which was cool. And I love how the record came out at the time, but really like writing up from the ashes, which dude, when I go back and listen to that, man, like it might be my favorite album I've, I've ever done. Like ever, like out of any- I'm telling you, man, that record, just the songwriting, your vocals in it. I feel like you hit like a stride that in, in my opinion, just as a fan, I think you hit that vocal stride that you had been like yearning for up until then. And that record I listened to, like, won't back down. Like I like that. So like you, you nailed like the feel that I thought, like in my eyes, like I thought you were trying to find and you found it on that record, dude. Yeah, so that's kind of what happens when you sit down with, like, four other, like, real musicians that, like, have experience in songwriting and, like, collaborating, right? And, like, they're open to, um, like, coaching or open to, like, you know, changing ideas and, like, working around the vocals right and making like the vocals a focal point when they need to and the guitar is a focal point when they need to um and it was just like a really really great like collaboration from like four guys um and my experience with that record like is just so so great and i'll always just it'll always just be like, like such an important like part in time in my life i was going through a lot personally and there's a lot of emotion on that record um and then you know the the wolves of war was really cool too because i had gone out and actually i had quit the band before we made that record and i had gone out and done this like asking alexandria tour and i filled in for like five shows and i was like screaming on stage is a fucking vibe and I need it. Right. Like that's me. That's like who I am, you know, like, like grunge vocals aside, like I'm a fucking screamer. Like that is like, that's what I'm about. Right. That's like where I came from. Like I need to be doing this. And so we had gone through some member changes in like burn halo. And I remember like I was shifting into like a career in hair at the time and just kind of like really starting to get my beak wet with that again and starting to like build my my clientele and touring to me was not something that was like really fully in the cards like I like I knew I was at this crossroads in my life where I either needed to be all in with music and like fucking throw caution to the wind and like whatever happens happens or I need to like knock some sense into myself and say like you're getting older you need to focus on like the future and like, what does that look like? What does that look for you? What kind of life do you want to have? And like, what kind of life do you want to live? And 
for me, I needed more stability. So I chose being a hairstylist over music and I was willing to walk away from like writing and playing at least like in the immediate future. And then the band came down to me, the two guitar players, uh, Joey and the new guitar player, Ryan came down to me during Nam with a manager and like, they had like really like said, Hey, we really want you to like do this band with us. And I you know, Hey man, I'm like, I think this is what I think you should do. I think you should let me write the record for you and have somebody else record and have somebody else just take my place. They didn't want that. My next option was I can write and record the record and then you can kick me out and have somebody else do it. Like do all the touring. They didn't want that. So I said, all right, well, I have this career. Like I can't just like walk away from it. Like whenever I want, it's, you know, like I'm like, I'm kind of like, handstrung to the salon and the way they want me to do things so I can do, you know, bigger stuff or stuff that makes sense for me. And they agreed to that. So we wrote and recorded the record. I had a great time like making that record. And like, I felt like kind of like re-energized vocally. Um, but I just, it just didn't feel like right to me. And the record got pushed out. The release got pushed out over a year, I think almost two years actually. And when it came out, there was touring lined up. I was at this point in my career where I just didn't feel good about like leaving. I'd worked so hard for three years to build this clientele. And like, I was really thriving in the salon. And I just didn't feel good about leaving that behind. So I quit. And that was the end of 2015. Uh, beginning of 2016, I moved to a different salon and, you know, just kind of was looking to like re-energize like that side of things for me as well. Just like a full on fresh start, brought my clientele with me, was getting new clients and like felt like I was really in the spot where I needed to be. And then Keith came calling a few months later. And was like, hey, do you want to finish those old ATV songs we never got around to? And I said, yes. And, you know, kind of turned, it ended up becoming 18 Visions. And it's kind of where I'm at now. You know, fast forward to, you know, being in the salon for almost 10 years. And I'm in a really good spot where I feel comfortable walking away from my business for two weeks at a time if I need to, or a week here, a week there, doing my own thing. And, you know, my clients like know that that's a part of my life now. And it's like, you know, they're excited about it or like, you know, they respect it. They want to hear how is tour? Do you have any tour dates lined up? Like what's going on? Like any vacations? Like, you know, they're like a part, like my clients are like a part of my life now. It's, you know, some of them are even like kind of family. So it's like they, you know, there's this kind of understanding of like who I am and like what I do. And like, that's a part of me. And they're just like interested in it, even though they're they have, most of them have no idea what metal and hardcore is all about. Right. You know? It's I think cool, the cool, the coolest one for me is I've got this client. She's from, uh, she's from Leeds over in England and her and her husband live in Orange County and they've got like friends. She's like, Oh, you didn't tell me you were in a band. Yeah, I'm, I'm not like really one to like kind of talk about myself behind the chair. I'm more interested in getting to know my clients and like what they're into and like what they do. Right. You didn't tell me you were in a band. Like, you know, I've got this, you know, these friends back home that used to go see you all the time. And like, that to me is like the coolest fucking thing. Yeah, dude. It, you're, it seems like you're in a place now 
where you're you're in that rare point where you can have your cake and eat it too you get absolutely and for for me as someone who's i mean and i i said this to keith too and uh it, it by no means is me trying to blow smoke i genuinely want to make sure i give 18 visions their flowers now while you guys are around and i'm able to have you guys on this podcast this podcast honestly the first time i ever heard the word podcast one of the first times was when you guys were doing the little podcast thing in promotion leading up to the self-titled you guys recorded a couple little things at the time you just called them podcasts and it was just you you know take you got you or keith or whoever taking questions from fans and just talking about the recording of the self-titled so it's like it's full circle now i'm getting 18 vision members on my podcast and i mean i'm not i'm not blowing smoke dude uh cool man Dude, it's 18 Visions has been one of those bands that's been a constant for me as someone who's straight edge. Uh, that's been a constant. And I've always loved that the band that I fell in love with just happened to be straight edge too. So, and obviously got into, you know, Throwdown and, and everything and know, knew the ancestral roots of you guys and Throwdown and, and all the alike bands. But 18V has been a huge part of myself as a music fan. Uh, I feel like I can think back to times in my life and I think about an 18 visions record all the time, more so than any other heavy band for sure. Like my favorite band of all time is the Ramones, but 18 visions is my favorite heavy band of all time. I, I have to have everything 18 visions. You guys put 1996 out. I need all four copies. I followed you guys. You guys brought my love for like metalcore, metal, hardcore and made it kind of real coupled with me finding straight edge. So I've kind of felt like a, a kinship with 18 visions more, even more so than like a, a band in your back pocket type thing. And you guys have always been cool through sh- going to shows, talking to you guys after the shows for since I was 14 years old, 13, 14 years old, I'm going to be 34 next month. So I want to make sure I give you your flowers and I want to thank you for all the 18 B music and everything you guys have done because, and it feels fucking awesome to have you guys back. And to have you back in the way that I know makes you guys happy, makes fans happy, and to get new 18 Visions music and know that you guys are enjoying it more than ever, it's what it's all about, man. Yeah, it's the best. But, uh, yeah, of course, man. Um, So if I extended this invite to Keith, I'll make sure I extend it to you. If you guys have anything new on the horizon i'm going to reach out to you because i would love to talk i could talk to you guys all day about movies and i mean we didn't even talk football i know you're a bears guy so you're you've been in pain this uh this football season uh i'm from syracuse uh, so I'm, a, yeah. new. <laughs> I'm a bills fan so i knew what it was Nothing. like too, man i uh, yeah well, you didn't have to suffer. You're probably too young to remember suffering through those four straight Super Bowl losses. Yeah, I but was. I little, remember. Uh, <laughs> I remember. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was a little too young for that. I mean, I remember my father gave up football after that fourth Super yeah. Bowl, like just literally didn't watch for 15 years. So yeah, I don't blame him. Yeah. You got some good. You got some good going. Oh yeah. Uh, hopefully, yeah. hopefully we can uh, we can we can rally and and take out the Chiefs arrowhead, but we'll see. But, uh, hey, man, I appreciate so much the time. Um, and, uh, yeah, thanks so much. And congrats, man, on 18V being, like, alive and well in, in a place where you guys can all enjoy it. And, like I said, have your cake and eat it, too. And it, it means the, the world to have 18V back and get that 18V music. And it's 
it's been awesome having you, man. I appreciate the time. Yeah, you bet, man. Thank you. Of course.